Welcome back to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is On Point. Well, staying with healthcare, there's another story that is uh, making headlines today. Ontario hospitals are facing a crisis, and experts say investing in palliative care is a vital solution. Right now, 6,000 of Ontario's hospital beds are currently occupied by alternative levels of care, patients who don't really need to be in the hospital. And there are other options to how we can provide a care for these individuals. I'm joined now by the author of that article, Dr. Ahmed Arya, a lecturer at the University of Toronto and palliative care lead, Kensington Gardens Long-Term Care Home in Toronto. Dr. Arya, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Rubina, for having me. So um, you wrote in this article how there are many patients that are, uh, you know, in, in quotes, alternative, occupying alternative levels of care. Can you explain to me what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question. So there are many people who come into hospital um, who can't be discharged home once their hospital treatments are completed. So for example, um, you know, we have people who come in, they suffer a decline, uh, unfortunately, when they're in the hospital, decline in function and decline in strength. And, and unfortunately, with our home care system being so underfunded, they can no longer return home, which means that they have to wait in hospital to be discharged to another appropriate destination. That might be a long-term care facility that could be a palliative care unit, it could be a hospice, a rehabilitation facility. But right now, with our system in bottleneck and, you know, in crisis, we have, as you've mentioned, an unprecedented number of hospital beds, uh, you know, being occupied by patients who are designated as alternative level, uh, as alternative level of care, or ALC, who actually have completed their hospital treatments, therefore they don't need to be in hospital, but are, uh, they're, they're still waiting their destination somewhere else. They're waiting to go somewhere else. And what does this do? What kind of ripple effect does this have if you have this person, like you said, alternative level of care where they can't go home, but they don't necessarily be, need to be in a hospital environment? What does what we're, we're already hearing about backlogs and surgeries being canceled? How does that make that situation worse? Yeah, so that's a great question, Rubina. It absolutely contributes to the current healthcare crisis. Although I will say at the outset that, uh, you know, everyone is really in agreement that the number one problem across our healthcare system is not even about beds or a shortage of beds or space. It's actually about human resources. So regardless of where we have a patient who's receiving care in the healthcare system, uh, we need to make sure that there's enough staff, especially, if nurse, uh, especially enough nurses available to care for that patient. So I wanted to say that at the outset. But yes, this problem is also very, very real. Uh, when there are so many patients who actually are in hospital and have completed their hospital patients, but then can't leave the hospital, this means that people who are coming in on the other end uh, by the emergency department, for example, can't get a bed. So this might include people who are actually very sick, people who have heart attacks, strokes, people who have COVID-19, influenza. We also need these beds for uh, post-operative uh, reasons. So people who are recovering from surgery need these beds. So obviously, this definitely affects our capacity in the healthcare system. And I just wanted to share that I'm hearing and seeing from my colleagues who work in the emergency department that more and more it is becoming normal to treat people in the waiting room. And that is absolutely something unacceptable. So, of course, we need to look for compassionate and humane solutions to this problem at this point in time. And you're saying that investing more in palliative care is one of those solutions. Can you tell us what kind of uh, uh, what, what kind of investment needs to be made? What would that look like? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. Thank you, Rubina. So first of all, I can I wanted to explain a little bit about what palliative care is, and that's something that I do in my daily work as someone who has meetings with patients and families and hospitals during home visits in the clinic setting and in long term care. So a lot of the times when people hear palliative care, they think it means just end of life care. And that's actually not true. Mm -hmm. Palliative care is about living well with a serious illness, often a life limiting, incurable or progressive illness. And that's sort of a stage of life that we will all reach. So so this might mean living well and reducing suffering for someone who is living with dementia or someone with advanced heart or lung disease. It doesn't mean uh, hasten death. It doesn't mean that other treatments to prolong life, like antibiotics or surgery or chemotherapy, necessarily have to stop. But it means receiving the right level of care in line with someone's wishes. And that's not something that we focus enough on when we're treating patients. So palliative care offers an immediate solution because... Um, the vast majority of older adults actually want to receive care in their own homes. We know this from mm -hmm. survey data, and we've known this for a very long time, that so many people actually don't want to end up in the hospital. From a palliative care perspective, I can tell you that the vast majority of older adults, once again, 87% actually want to receive palliative care and end-of-life care in their own homes. And that is something we can enable if we invest in our healthcare system properly. Right now, I wanted to say that Canada actually has a, you know, a mismatch where the vast majority of people actually die in the hospital. And as I mentioned, that is contrary to people's wishes. So 60% of people die in the hospital in spite of the fact that 87%, you know, 87% of people want to stay in their own homes. They want to die in their own homes. So from a cost perspective, we are paying for this care anyways, because we are paying because acute care being in the hospital setting is a lot more expensive. Obviously, it's not allowing people to receive the care where they want in terms of their location. Home care would actually be a lot more inexpensive. And if we invest in home care, then then we would obviously, you know, you know, do a lot, you know, do a lot of good by clearing up space in the hospital for people who actually need those hospital beds on an urgent basis. And home care sounds like it's safer as well, because if you take someone who's 89, 90 years old into a hospital setting, they all of a sudden um, are vulnerable to catching something else that someone else is sick with. Or um, if they're, you know, if they're not in their home environment, they just uh, become more tired, as, as we all do when we're not at home. Uh, it, what, uh, explain to us that piece of it where uh, being at home keeps them safer and healthier as well, because they're, they're where they are most familiar. Yeah, that's a great point, Rubina. And that's definitely the case for, you know, many of the patients that I provide care for. So hospitals and emergency departments especially are, you know, very confusing environments. The, you know, I can tell you the most common complication for any older adult entering into hospital is a medical condition, which, you know, we may or may not have heard of called delirium, where they can become disoriented. And a contributor to that is the actual hospital environment. If you've been in an emergency department, it's a very crowded and busy place. There's day and night sort of stimulation. There's actually no windows, so people can keep track of what time it is. Uh, oftentimes, there's no continuity of care, as you mentioned. So there's constant turnover of nurses and doctors. They don't really know the person. They don't know how to feed them well. They don't know their wishes. And that, you know, obviously can also lead to harm as well. But I will say, of course, emergency departments are still open and people who need to go there should go there. But from, the, you know, you know, from the perspective of my patients, they would rather stay at home and they can receive better care at home if we fund our home care 
care system, especially if we support the health workers who are working in the home care system as well. I can tell you that home care has been grossly underfunded in our country for decades. And frankly, over the last few months, very alarmingly, has just collapsed uh, to the point where Many people are assigned home care hours through home and community care, meaning they're assigned, for example, 14 hours. But because there are not health workers, they don't get those hours of care from PSWs or nurses that they deserve. Um, as a as a doctor that works in palliative care, uh, what how 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 does it make you feel? I don't know whether this is fair for me to ask, because um, when you see a patient. Uh, go to a long-term care home, for example, far away from their own community, follow, far away from their relatives. Because often they, if they have a spouse, they themselves don't have the ability to travel to see their, 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 their husband or wife because uh, the travel itself is too difficult for the spouse that's now at home by themselves. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a fair question, Rubina. And I can share with you right now, this bill has just recently, you know, received royal assent and become law. So thankfully, in my own practice, I've not yet seen any circumstances where someone was sent, uh, you know, 70 kilometers away, or in the case of Northern Ontario, 150 kilometers away. But I can share with you working in long term care as well. I mean, and, act, and you know, frankly, in all areas of the healthcare system, I see on a regular basis, the very important and essential role that family members play in providing care. So it's very common that, you know, someone's children, someone's spouse is coming in on a regular basis to feed them, help them to take medications, um, you know, translate for them, speaking to the doctors and nurses about the next steps in their care plan. And of course, I think we would all agree that, you know, for people who are in the last year or two of, of, of their life, and in this article, I've even outlined that we have previous data that shows us that many of these alternate level of care patients are even in the last 90 days of their life. This should be a time that we should be keeping families close together. This should be a time that we should be creating a system which doesn't cause more suffering by separating families, but actually helps to treat suffering and relieve suffering, which is very, very important. And, you know, I think that's something that is very, very important, obviously, from my lens as a palliative care physician. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the program and breaking down what's happening and how investing in palliative care, uh, home care especially, uh, is going to improve the lives not only of those patients, but uh, for the healthcare system uh, in general. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Ahmed Arya. He's a lecturer at the University of Toronto and palliative care lead Kensington Gardens long-term care home in Toronto, uh, talking to us about how investing in palliative care is one of the, the vital solutions uh, in solving some of the problems that we're seeing at the hospital hospitals uh, right now. I'm Rubina Amadahak. We're going to take a quick break. This is On Point.